All right. Great to see all of you tonight. Welcome back to the college ministry. All right. It is awesome to be here tonight with all of you. So great to have so many people. The stairs are rocking tonight. And uh, we're glad you made it back. You found your way back to my house. I know it's difficult being on the corner of the corner of the corner is what we call it. And, uh, you know, we moved into this house. It was quiet around here. There wasn't that much noise. There wasn't that many, weren't that many people, but now it's like a thoroughfare. And if you sleep in that bed on the corner right there, there are 18-wheelers humming down that street and motorcycles. It's like, yeah, anyway, that's for another time. But we're here. We're back. It's great to be with all of you. If you're new with us, thank you for coming. I see some new faces, and we're glad that you're here. We hope, we really do, we hope that you'll find a home here at FBC's College Ministry. Um, this is a great place, and, uh, and we hope that you enjoy your time. We're here for one reason. I'll just tell you what is right off the bat so everybody knows why we gather together, and that is very simply this. We want to help college students know Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. It's why we come together on Fridays. It's why our staff is here, and many of you have gathered tonight, so that we can sing and hear the Word of God preached and be together for fellowship, to find community together, to help one another in our um, relationship with God, to seek to know Him. What does it even mean to have a relationship with God? What does the Bible say? Um, who is Jesus? How can I grow my faith if I do have a relationship with Him? All of those things are kind of what we're here for, summarizing the statement so that you and I would know Christ better. Well, that's the introduction. We had a great, great Christmas as a family. And I, because I'm the preacher, I get to tell you about my story. I'm not going to hear anything about yours, but you get to hear about mine. So we had a lot of fun at, in this Christmas holiday. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean. I live here. This is my branch, and, uh, and this is my house also. And the pictures on the wall are my family, and uh, we're glad to have you in our house. We're here every Friday. Doors are open. And uh, anyway, we had a great time together. My wife's name is Tracy. She's actually upstairs sick, and uh, so don't go in there because it's like a war zone for her. Uh, my two daughters, Zoe and Haley, are out right now, but they'll be back a little bit later. Um, but anyway, we had a great time. We actually got to have Christmas this year with our family, with her family, with my family separate. We had a really good time with extended family, getting to see people that we hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, I'll explain more about why that was the case in just a minute. But it was really sweet to see cousins and aunts and uncles uh, and, and people of that nature, parents, siblings, I know you probably all did that over Christmas. It was really good. For the first time, having lived in Southern California for my entire life, we did not go to the Rose Parade, but we went the night before to Pasadena to go look at the floats ahead of time. Has anybody ever done that before? Yeah, that's something we should do next year. It's actually really cool. You get to walk into these massive warehouses and, and outdoor areas where they've already built, assembled, and put these things together. You go on the 31st, in the afternoon and evening, they're all ready to go, and uh, they'll take you around and explain all the different flowers and parts. Everything on those things is organic, right? Not all locally sourced, but it's all organic, all right? And so it's pretty cool. And then you drive down Colorado Boulevard, and people throw pies at you. There's people laid out there spending the night, and uh, all sorts of crazy things are going on. It's really, really fun. So maybe we'll do it next year, but we, we did that. It was really a good time. Um, we also went to Brian Head, Utah which is uh, if you go drive to Las Vegas and keep going for like another three hours, you get to Brian Head. 
It is a place where we skied as a family, snow skied. We stayed in the cabin of somebody in this room, I won't mention who, had a great time. And uh, it was so fun. My girls are at the perfect age. We went skiing with them. We built snowmen together. Um, we had, wa- uh, not water fights, but snow fights and sledding. <laughs> Did you know for a snowman that if the snow is soft, like it's just snowed, you make a little snowball? I didn't know this. Okay, I'm embarrassed to say this because I got taught this by, by a six-year-old that was with us. You make a snowball about this big, you put it down the snow, and then you just start rolling it. And you just keep rolling it, and the snow sticks to it. That's how you make a snowman. And within about, I'm not kidding, like about a minute, the thing is like about this big. It's the craziest thing. It just sticks to itself. And then you, you build. It's, it's really fun. Anyway, we had a really good time. I went with a friend from, we brought a friend from high school, my high school. That's like 20 plus years ago. He has five kids. And we just had a blast together. Uh, and then just this last weekend, um, our family went and attended our junior, um, junior high and high school winter camp, which was up in the local mountains. I had the privilege of preaching to the high school students. And uh, it was just a really good time. I preached out of the Sermon on the Mount. The series was The Pursuit of Happiness, and we walked through Jesus' message about how happiness is possible in our lives, about how happiness is hard because of our sin. We, we kind of screw things up. How happiness is found ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ, and how happiness is a choice that you must decide to follow him with your life. And it, we had a great time. Some people professed Christ for the first time. A lot of students looking at their lives saying, I need to make changes because I've been living in sin, and I want to follow Christ more closely. And so it was just a really, really good time away. Now, all of that being said, the biggest event for me of the entire time, the whole holiday season, um, was really the fact that this was the one-year anniversary of when I fell and cracked my skull, which was two days before Christmas last year. And many of you know the story. I, uh, I passed out, I cracked my skull in a urinal, I ended up with uh, cerebral, I know it's kind of weird, funny, stupid story, but I had brain fluid leaking out my right nostril straight out to the ground, and I spent a week in the ICU. Not the best way to spend your holiday. I was in there, went, checked into the hospital on Christmas Day, checked out on New Year's Day. Not a lot of fun. It was uh, pretty unexpected. You know, one day you're in the best shape of your life running 10 miles and feeling great. The next day you can barely even get up out of bed. And uh, it's just crazy, tube in your back and couldn't even hardly walk. You go from total control of your life to no control at all. Again, really scary time. Um, I didn't know if the hole in my head that the brain fluid was leaking out of would heal. That was inside, by the way. There's a bag that holds your brain called your dura, right? D-U-R-A, all right? And there, somehow I had punctured that and it was leaking out through that. Um, Anyway, not fun times. And I, I didn't know if they were going to have to do a craniotomy, which is when they go and take your skull off, right, and go in there to seal it and then stick it back on like you're wearing a hat for the rest of your life. Um, I wasn't sure. Listen to this. This is crazy. I wasn't sure if I would have full motor function. Not sure if I would have full brain capacity. Imagine my wife, Tracy, who through all of this from a wife's perspective, will I have a functional husband? Will he be able to play with the kids? Will he be able to go to work to support us? Um, will he be able to even think and be like a normal person? I wasn't normal before, and nothing really has changed. But, uh, but you can imagine that event caused quite a bit of turmoil in our life. It was, it was more or less a life-changing, life-altering um, moment. Because I sought to do this. If you whittled down all that was learned, uh, a few things came to the surface. And I just want to share them briefly. They're all actually related to each other. Don't write these down. This is not notes. This is just me. But the first was that I'm not in control of my life. God is. 
And it sounds kind of simple and easy, but um, as we plan our way and orchestrate our lives, ultimately God's in control. And I learned that firsthand from being at the movies watching Star Wars to being in the hospital fighting for my life, more or less. Crazy. James 4.13 says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there and engage and make a profit, right? And James says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. And I learned that lesson firsthand that I'm not in control God is in control of my life. The other second lesson I learned is that strength is only given to us for a time, which is interesting. It's only given to us for a time. We, we think we will always have our health. Many of you have never really been sick, never really had issues. That was me up until 40 years old, never had a problem. Body had never failed me. I was fine, no issue. Uh, we take it for granted, the ability to stay up late to complete a task, pull an all-nighter, to just gut it out and physically endure and get something done. You kind of know what I'm talking about. You've never really had an issue with that, right? And then just get up the next morning and keep going, right? You just function. But it's not always the case. And the Lord stripped me of the ability, my own strength to just live a normal life. And it's very difficult when that happens. Um, Isaiah 40, 29 says this. He gives, he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Now listen to this. Though youths, young men, grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That was the case with me, where I went from being a very strong, able-bodied person to being somebody that couldn't even walk 15 feet without literally passing out. And so it's just really interesting that God takes your strength away, and you've got to figure out what life is like without something you've always taken for granted. All this comes together, these two things, into the third one, and the biggest lesson is in the area of just flat-out trusting God. Um, trusting God, having faith in God. Uh, and it can be so hard to do because you think, or this is how I think, I'm strong, I'm intelligent, I'm capable, I can get things done, and yet when God takes away your capacity in one fell swoop, uh, that's different. I mean, I remember laying in the ICU. I'm in the bed by myself. It's at night. Everybody's kind of gone. Um, the machines around me are beeping. The IV next to me is dripping. You're right. And tears are streaming down my face because, and I'm just being transparent, I am terrified of the future. I'm like, I'm, I am the pastor and an elder at our church, and I'm scared of what's going to happen. And I'm crying. Okay, and, and I'm laying there trying to put my burdens into God's hands and having very much difficulty doing that. Complete uncertainty, uncertainty. You're laying there day after day, or I was at least, and trying to put my burdens into God's hands, trying to trust him and recognizing I'm failing. And so I'm, I'm reciting scripture, right? And I'm, I'm going back into my mind, rehearsing the gospel, all the things I know about God and who he is and what he's done. I'm calling to mind, I'm reading and I had some of the sweetest times of communion with God ever in my life in that hospital bed by myself at night with the IV dripping and the machines beeping, just laying there in times where the tears would turn from the tears of worry and sorrow to tears of joy. And I was going back and forth. I was a little bit of a mess, as you can imagine, an emotional roller coaster. But point being, we have a hard time. And so, or at least I did, I had a hard time trusting God and putting my life into his hands and in looking back on those days, it's clear to me that I deal with a lack of faith in my own life. 
I don't do well trusting God, trusting another, um, and letting go of control of my life. Can you relate? Anybody in here relate to that? That's, I think, something that we all deal with. Um, we're okay. We're okay trusting God with our eternal destiny, right? As Christians, most people in this room believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm putting all my faith in him and I trust that that faith is gonna take me from this life to the next life into his presence in heaven. We're okay with that big declaration, that kind of faith. But for some reason, we are very slow to give him the daily life, the daily tasks of our life and those things that we struggle with on a daily basis, things like relationships, and anxiety over our jobs and worry about our grades and our family and will I ever be married and who will I be married to and will I have kids and how many and what if I have too many kids and what if I don't like my kids and what if my kids are ugly and what if my kids aren't, no, I'm kidding. And, but, but how about this one? Just worrying about what the future holds. Like what, what's gonna happen from this day to the next day? Some of you are, and many of you are at a point in life where there are big decisions that are looming and things that are going on right now, whether it's family or work or relational or school or anything, there's a lot of things going, I don't really know how I get from here to that next point. Uh, and it's not as clear as we'd like it to be, right? It isn't. And ultimately, this is the issue of faith. And the same way that I was struggling laying in that hospital bed, we all struggle with an issue of faith and of trusting God. Uh, we know that God has numbered every one of our days. That's what the Psalms tell us. And he's working everything out for our good. That's what Romans 8 tells us. But he has not given us the exact blueprint for our lives. Bummer, huh? Because it'd be nice if you could open a book and go, page 17, section 3, paragraph 4. There it is. I'm going to marry this person. Wouldn't that make things a lot easier? I am going to move out of my house on this day and I'm gonna get this job, and, I, and you know, I'm gonna to have to go through these three interviews, and then it's gonna hit, and I'm gonna make, da, da, da. wouldn't that be nice if God gave us all of that? Does he? He doesn't, right? <laughs> because he's acting, asking us to live this life by faith, and not by sights, right? That's where we are as human beings who are finite and not in control of everything, as we deal with an infinite, sovereign God. He asks us to trust him as his children, that he has worked out every detail, that he is in complete control, and he's saying, come under my plan, come under my sovereignty, and know that I have it all worked out, and trust me, right? Psalm 73 says, the nearness of God is our good. Being close to God, being part of his family is our good, and yet we struggle with this because Big things, we got it. I want to go to heaven, I trust God. But in this life, on the daily choices, it's really difficult to live by faith. And so this semester, we come to a new study, right, that's going to take us, believe it or not, the whole entire semester. And the topic of this, can you guess what it is? One word. It's the topic of faith. That's right. In fact, I titled this series so far, Faith. How's that for creativity? All right, and I'm excited because we're gonna dive into this study um, and hope that we will see areas in our life that need to change. Some of you in this room are not a Christian. You came tonight, you don't know much about the Bible, you don't have a relationship with God. We're gonna open God's word and show you what he says about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We're going to show you how it's not about all your good efforts and actions, but about faith in his work on the cross on our behalf. And we'll get into all these things, but this is going to be great. So we're going to walk through one single chapter. All right. It's not a topical message. One single chapter of the New Testament that deals with the topic of faith, the most crystallized place, the summary of all of faith in the Bible is found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Okay, so go ahead and open your Bibles there. Tonight's message is just a simple introduction, just something to get us going looking at this topic. Got it? Hebrews 11. It's a cool topic. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it before we dive in in just a minute, but let me just say it this way. Hebrews 11 is all about Old Testament saints. It just references all these guys and gals that are alive and dead that live by faith. So this is kind of cool because Chris Ike, he arm wrestled and beat me and said, Sean, we got to get into the Old Testament. And he's been asking me for two years, and he's right. And so this is my way of dipping a toe in the Old Testament by saying we're still in the New Testament, but every week our messages are going to be rooted right, in the Old Testament, which is going to be awesome. So Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith chapter. And I want you to understand that we're jumping right into the middle of the, the, the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book, um, but right into the middle of his thought. We're not going to look at verse, chapters 1 through 10. I'm not going to reference chapters 1 through 10. I just want to tell you very simply the theme of the book of Hebrews so you have an idea of what's going on here. The theme of this book is comparing a bunch of different things, the old and the new, old covenant, new covenant, the, the high priest in the past versus our current high priest in Christ, a bunch of different things, old sacrifice, new sacrifice. Can I just say it this way with all of this? Here's, here's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Okay, Jesus is better than all of those things. If you read those first 10 chapters, you'll see what I'm talking about. He's better than the angels. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the old high priest. He's better than the old sacrifices and on and on and on. It talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives and in our salvation. Chris, is that enough for an introduction of like a context? Okay, perfect. That's, that's all you're getting. Now, what I'd like to do tonight is just introduce the first couple of verses and, and we're going to spend a good length of time reading this entire chapter, all right? I think it's important to start there. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that we haven't done for a while, but that I think is important to show respect for the Word of God. We're going to actually read all of Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we read it. So go ahead and rise to your feet. And I want, as your legs are tired and you're thinking, why am I standing? It's in, it's in honor and respect to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. But I want you to concentrate and focus on this. Don't just let the words go by and follow them on the page. Really key into what's being said here because it's an amazing story. Fair enough? All right, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, and though they were passing through, as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had promised something better for us so that apart from us, they would be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You can be seated. And I feel like I can close in prayer. That is our text for the semester. And again, if you're new with us, this is all we do. We open the Bible and we walk verse by verse through the Bible, seeing what God says about who he is, who we are, and how we can please him. And so this is it. We've got a lot to learn in this, and I'm excited to be with you and to bring the text to you. Um, I'm going to only make a couple of comments tonight, and we're going to actually finish pretty quick with this. I I have three questions I want to ask you just to introduce the topic, and then we're going to be done. It's an introduction, so I don't have to go long, which is good. All right, so here's question number one. Do you know what faith is? Do you know what faith is? Uh, I guess you probably have some idea, but I'd like to just maybe help you with this. Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase, which I guess is probably true. Um, Steve Jobs says, sometimes life hits you in the head with a brick, but don't lose faith. That's good. Um, Gandhi, no, 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 excuse me, this is Buddha, said, doubt everything and find your own light. I'm not sure that applies to faith, but it's there. A guy named Robert Anton Wilson said, belief is the death of intelligence. He was an atheist. Belief or faith is the death of intelligence. And Frederick Nietzsche, help me, thank you, said, a casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. And of course, you know this one, all the world is made of faith and trust and who got it? And pixie dust. And pixie dust said by Peter Pan. There you go. So what exactly is faith? And how do we define it? Webster says faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. It's actually a pretty good definition. Uh, faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The Urban Dictionary thinks that Faith is a girl. She is, quote, the most kindest person you'll ever meet. She has a great sense of humor. She's fun to hang around. She's beautiful inside and out. Or um, their Urban Dictionary definition too says, Faith is belief in something that either has no or very little evidence in support of it. In some cases, faith can run contrary to some or even much evidence. All right, so there's all sorts of different things. But what does the Bible say about faith? Uh, And this is the... The clearest definition here in verse 1 in the entire New Testament, it actually defines faith for us. If you ever wondered, how do I define what faith is? Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 does it for us. Look down there um, at the text with me really quick. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for 
the conviction of things not seen. This, tell, this text tells us that faith is not wishful thinking. It's not a longing for something to happen in the future. It's not, I'm just going to have faith that I, I really trust that you're going to pass that test. Yeah, that doesn't work so well if you don't know the material, right? You can really hope for something and really have faith that it's going to be okay, but um, that's not what this is talking about, all right? Um, it, this, look back at the verse. It's, it's an assurance, the verse says. It is the assurance, and it is the conviction, Right there. Those are two pretty strong words in the New Testament. Assurance is translated um, or, or can be interpreted, defined as substance or reality. Now, faith is the substance of what you hope for. Faith is uh, the reality of what you're hoping for. It's what provides the basis for your trust. It is almost like the, the gravitas, like the proof of it. That's your faith. The thing that you're hoping for, the thing that you need more than anything that you can't really, it's not really there. This is the reality of it. This is the, uh, the substance of it. I know that's a little bit esoteric, but that's okay. Um, what about the conviction there of things unseen? Conviction can be translated as the word evidence. Um, and, and it's the proof it's to be convinced to the point of action. So where the first one, the assurance, is saying, I understand it in my mind. I, I, I get it. Like, I'm, I'm convinced of this thing. The conviction of things not seen is, is something that's more that says, I'm actually willing to act on this. All right? So, so the, the, the conviction there is saying, even though I can't see it, it's the conviction of what you have not seen. Even though I cannot see it, this is where I'm willing to stake and put my hope and my trust. Things that aren't. Um, visible to the naked eye. So it's like if we were, let me, let me define faith this way. If I was to take this piece of paper and roll it up like this and create, what do you call one of these things? You look through? I don't know, whatever this is. Okay, this device. So imagine that I'm standing on the seashore uh, and I'm looking out across the ocean, and as, which is an amazing thing to do, right? And I'm looking out over the water and I can't see, there's nothing there. Right, just blue sky, nothing but blue sky. And uh, right, um, looking at me, all that. So, so then I take something like this, but there's probably an actual lens in here or something that when I stick this up to my eye, I realize, wait a second, there's an island out there. And if I, if I look through this, I can actually see that island, that there are palm trees and there are coconuts and there's a waterfall. And it looks like there's a drinking fountain with Yoohoo coming out of it. And all sorts of goodies over there, way over there on this island, right? Wouldn't that be cool if there was a drinking fountain with Yoohoo? Okay, anyway. Um, now, now here, here it is. What, this is what faith is. Faith is the vehicle or the tool or the thing that we have in our life that allows us to see what we cannot see with our normal eyes. Okay, you're never gonna see God, all right? There will not be a flash of lightning that tells you, oh yeah, I need to give my life to him. Oh yeah, now it's time for me to get serious. Not ever gonna happen, all right? These things are not seen, okay? But faith is the ability, the God-given ability to trust in the thing you cannot see. That's what faith is. So now, through faith, I can actually see what's out there on the other side. Does anybody want this? No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's what faith is. Um, Spurgeon said it this way. Uh, he talks about the reality of faith. Spurgeon's an old-time preacher, died about 100 years ago. But he said, if there's a fire in the upper room of a house um, and there's people gathered on the street below, but there's a child in that 
upper story stuck in there because of the flames, how is he to escape? Okay, so he, he can't get down the stairs, and if he jumps, he's going to die, right? Because he's going to hit the ground and whatever. But now a big, strong man comes and stands at just down in front and says, hey, jump and I'll catch you. So, so faith, there's a couple different things here. There's a couple parts of it. Faith is knowing that the man is there. Right? In this case, he can see him. Faith is understanding that this is a strong man, much like myself, that's standing down there. Right? Um, but, but really, the essence of faith is not in that knowledge. The essence of faith is what? The fact that he's actually going to put his life in his hand. He's going to actually jump out the window um, and, and trust that man. That's the proof of the faith into his arms. And so that is it. Now, if you really want to, after we're done, you can do the old drill where you turn around and fall back into somebody's arm. And I would, I do this with my daughter, sometimes I just let them fall. It's hilarious. But no, no. So you can't trust anybody, girls. All right, there you go. No, I don't do that. But uh, anyway, the proof of your faith is in, is in the action, the, the conviction of things unseen. It's the assurance of what you're hoping for, the writer says, but it comes in this conviction that I'm actually willing to put my life out on what I believe. All right, are you following me? So that's question number one, what is faith? Question number two is Old Testament faith and New Testament faith different? I couldn't think of a better question here, so we'll just, we'll just work with this because sometimes we think like, well, what did they do in the Old Testament? Is that different from what we do today? Like, How did they function versus us? Because the Old Testament seems so much different from the New Testament, and I don't understand all those pieces. And what the writer says here in verse two is he says that for by it, look at verse two, by it, what's the it, anybody? By faith, the men of old gained approval. So here's the point. There is no difference between the way that you are saved and the way that you are to live your life versus somebody before Christ in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints function the exact same way. That's what this chapter says. Both live by faith to gain the approval of God. And this chapter in great detail shows these men and women lived not by what they could see, but what they, by what they could not see. And that's, how, that's faith, right? That's how they gain their approval. Look at verse six. It says, this is how they pleased God, by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the pathway to God has never been through works, always through faith, even before the cross of Jesus Christ. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see examples of this. So look in the passage. You've got Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and we're going to add Rakshak and Benny, Elisha, and a few more into this that are, that are alluded to, and we'll talk about them. But all of these, all of these people, none of them are perfect. They were all just normal individuals, a lot like you and I, trying to live their lives for God try to do the right things. And they were put into circumstances where they had to make decisions. Am I going to trust God or am I going to live my life the way that I think that I should? But they're not perfect. Abraham lied, right? Twice. Uh, Sarah doubted God and even laughed at God. Jacob deceived Isaac, his father, to get the blessing. Moses killed a man. David committed adultery. Samson was just one giant raging hormone, right? Until he literally burned a city down and lost his eyes. Jephthah made this crazy vow where he said, hey, hey, God, listen, if you deliver my enemies into my hands, and guess what? 
Whoever comes out of my house, the first person comes out of my house, I'll offer them as a sacrifice to you. And I'm going to kill them and offer them as a sacrifice. So he goes and fights this battle and he comes back having de- declared victory. And who comes out of the door but his one and only child, his daughter, with tambourines celebrating. And he's stuck, having made this vow that we call Jephthah's foolish vow, right? He's stuck. But he did it. Anyway, that's a crazy, we'll get there. It's a crazy story. Point is, is there's a ton of imperfection in men and in women of the Old Testament and in us. And here's the deal. They didn't live perfectly and they sinned and they knew it. And they were in a point where there was no Messiah. There was no Savior. And so they were not looking back like we do. They were what? They were looking forward in time without knowing what was coming, but holding on to the promise of God. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning, there were whispers in the Old Testament and shadows all the way through the book talking about this coming redeemer, talking about this conqueror who would come, talking about this king who would come, talking about a, a man who would come and rescue all of us from our sin. And so in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to this Messiah, all the promises of God. They're waiting and they're living by faith, knowing that their actions aren't good enough. And so they're trusting that this future, this man would come, live the life they could never live, person of Jesus Christ, die in their behalf. They didn't even understand all of this and that they would have forgiveness through that. So all that's in faith. So here's my point. The Old Testament where it says there in verse two, the men of old gained approval. They were approved by God. How, how, how? By faith, right? By faith in the finished work of Christ. They didn't receive the, uh, the end of all this, if you look at verse 39 of Hebrews 11, towards the end, it says, all of these, having gained approval through their faith, what we're talking about, did not receive what was promised. Okay, so all of these guys died looking forward to the hope of Messiah coming. But, but no actual seeing it with their eyes and understanding it, that, that they were there. Now, back to the question. Is Old Testament faith and New Testament faith different? The answer? No, they're the same. And I already answered this, but let me say it again. In the Old Testament, all of those people that recognized that they were sinners and that they needed a Savior were looking forward to the, to the coming of Jesus Christ, looking forward to that single sacrifice that would take away sin. By faith, they were waiting. They died without receiving that promise. They died trusting that if they put their faith in this coming Messiah, God would see that and give them approval and take away their sin and let them have relationship with him, be with him in heaven. The cross comes. Right? Jesus lives. Jesus dies. Jesus is risen again. Jesus is the conquering king. He comes to put sin away. All the things that were promised in the Old Testament. And then fast forward to today. What do we do? They're looking all the way forward to the cross. We're doing what? Same thing. We're just looking backward. Almost easier for us because we see the finished picture. We've got the whole of the Bible. We understand the thing that it says in 1 Peter that angels didn't even understand. They're looking down trying to figure out what's going on. Old Testament saints not fully getting what this was, just trusting that God was going to do it. We have the finished, complete work of the Bible. We can look back and go, ah, I get it. And now I can live by faith. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, verse 12, but then we'll see face to face. So even for us, we only stand, understand part of the picture, okay? Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I've also been fully known. And I love this. You'll recognize this verse. It says this, but now faith, hope, and love uh, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You guys recognize that verse, right? Faith, hope, and love. 
Um, there's bumper stickers and things and all sorts of crazy quotes and everything else. Do you know why love is the greatest of those three? Have you thought about that? Faith's important and so is, so is hope, right? Why does it say the greatest of these is love? Here's the reason. Because there's a day coming where faith will become what? Sight. And there will be no more faith. There will be no more reason for faith. When we stand in the presence of God, faith will be gone forever. We don't need it. We are there with him, seeing it and experiencing it. What about hope? The thing that we hope for in Christ will have been made complete. We will be with him and and, and our resurrection to new bodies and the sin being removed. All of that will be complete. There will be no more hope, no more expectation because it will have been completed. The only thing that remains for eternity is what? Is love. And that will never go away. By love we were saved um, Christ went to the cross. By love, we, we exist together, and by love, we will be with him for eternity. So I think that's pretty cool. Old Testament, New Testament, all by faith, all in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, question three. Do you know how this should change your life? How should faith change your life? Right now, you don't, but I'm going to tell you really quickly. It's pretty simple. It's in chapter 12, and that's why I read... You're like, oh, we're finally done. Then I kept reading. You're going, oh, my goodness. But that's just three verses. You, you just, you kooks. Okay. So look at 12.1 because he, he tells us how should this change our life? What impact should, should understanding faith from these Old Testament saints, how should that motivate and change us? Look at chapter 12. He says this, let us then lay aside every encumbrance. So if you truly understand what's happened in this hall of faith and this cloud of witnesses that's surrounding us, that's literally like in the stadium, in the stands, looking down on us, and we're now running the race. He says, get rid of the encumbrances and the sin that entangles us, and then let us run with endurance. Go after it, he's saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Put aside your sin and look to Jesus and let that spur you on. Verse three, and consider him who did all these things he, and endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Here it is, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We don't want to grow weary. We don't want to lose heart. We don't want to get halfway down and go, I just give up. Too difficult. Too many struggles. Too many trials. Emotions all over the place. Things aren't going my way. And just let it go. Instead, at that point is the time mostly that we need to hold on to the promises of God and have faith in Him. And so that's where we're going this semester. I can't wait. Just so you know... um, just admission here, I've asked some other guys to come preach, to share this with me. So you're going to hear from some of our elders and some other men at FBC who are going to be coming, and even from some guys in this room, which is going to be exciting. So, that's it. I really tried to get into 40 minutes, and it didn't work. 42 minutes, that's just sad. But we're finished. All right, let me pray. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for a chance to look into your word tonight. Thank you for for faith that is a gift given by you to us. And we can't see you, we can't understand you or know you aside from faith. But even tonight, we declare and we remind ourselves and say out loud that we come to you in faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, not trusting in our own works, not trusting in our own goodness or things that we've done, but recognizing it's by the complete and finished work of Christ that we can draw into your presence. And so we're thankful that you've given us faith and we pray that you would enlarge our faith and that you would help us to trust you more, not just in the big things of life, but also in the little. Uh, We pray this semester that you would change us and challenge us and use this 
uh, for our good and for your glory. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.